Chapter 19 The king under the fort waded out of the pond and shook himself dry. The crows stayed in the air, circling high above. One huge bird descended, and as it landed, no tail jumped from its back to land lightly on the ground. I found this assassin out of her element, the director said, but I think the magpies were glad to get rid of her. A few more minutes up there and she'd have beaten them on her own. The crow turned to James. It looks like you were right, it said. We do need to do something about these magpies. But I'm not going to give up the crow's nest on the beach. I've a good mind to destroy the magpies completely, even if it costs the lives of many crows. I don't think we need to go that far, the king under the fort said. We do need to make sure those roving foxes understand that they are not welcome here. We can help, the director said, but we would need some ground forces. The local foxes are too weak, and there's not enough badgers around. I think we should enlist the help of the cats. The badger turned to James. Do you think you could have a word with the Empress of the Seven Dials? Six Dials, you mean, James said. No. She is in charge of all seven now. Go and talk to her and tell you I sent you. The director and crows can provide air support, and I'm sure she'll negotiate some beneficial arrangements with them. The crow nodded in agreement. Ah, that's decided then, the badger said. I'm off to bed. Before the king left, it waded a little way back into the pond and fished the girdle picks out with a long claw. Once the foxes are gone, we'll strap this back on Henry's tail. Until then, please keep it safe. The badger gave the girdle picks with the stone of Brighthelm inside to James and then shuffled off into a gorse bush. James yawned. He was shattered. He slowly trudged back to his abandoned bike, no tail keeping him company. The ride back down the hill was far less exciting. He locked the bike and quietly crept back up to his room. Before getting into bed, he checked the window. Thankfully, the magpies hadn't smashed it completely. There was a big crack near the right-hand side and a bunch of beak marks and chips. Nothing that would cause any particular attention if his parents noticed. No-Tail had stayed with him, and she took up a position on the windowsill. If the magpies came back, James was confident that No-Tail would put them off trying to get in again. He undressed, put the girdle picks back in the bowl of water, and fell asleep. Thankfully, the next thing that woke James up was his alarm. He hit the snooze button and started to fall back to sleep. He didn't have breakfast club, so could afford another half hour's sleep. But No-Tail had other ideas, bounding over to his pillow and tugging an ear. What? James said half asleep. Leave me alone. The squirrel was persistent, though, and in the end, James dragged himself out and got dressed for school. No-Tail hopped over and sat on the edge of the bowl that contained the submerged girdle picks. James had a problem. He didn't want to leave the Stone of Brighthelm at home. There was a chance his dad or mum would find it. Or worse, the magpies might try a new plan. If he took it out of the water, though, he risked it whipping up more hurricane-force winds. He wanted to keep it with him, and keep it underwater. Leaving No-Tail in his bedroom, he went down to get some breakfast and think it over. His mum was already in the kitchen with a cup of tea in her hand. 
James, she said. Are you okay? Yeah, he said, slightly confused. I'm just tired. It's all the choir practice, I think. No, your face. She got up and came over to him. You're covered in blood. He'd forgotten about the cut above his eye caused by the magpie's beak in the night. Oh, he stuttered. I must have scratched myself in the night. I'm all right. I'll wash it off. He went to the downstairs toilet and looked in the mirror. His mum was right. The whole of the left side of his face was covered in brown, dried blood. He mopped at it with wet toilet roll for a few minutes. The cut was only small, but it had bled a lot. It could have been a lot worse, though, if no tail in the king under the fort hadn't helped him. During breakfast, he worked out a plan. His dad had some waterproof bags, rugged ones, the kind used to keep stuff dry on boats. If they didn't let water in, then surely they wouldn't let water out. James went upstairs to the box room and hunted round. He found one buried behind an old sewing machine. It was a little smaller than his school bag, and inside it had a lightweight two-man tent. He pulled the tent out and left it in the room. He took the bag to the bathroom and held it under the bath tap until it was about a third full. He wanted enough water to submerge the stone of Brighthelm, but not so much that he couldn't carry it. It was a little heavy, so he emptied some out. Back in his bedroom, he transferred the girdle picks into the waterproof bag, rolled the top of the bag down and clipped it tightly. Then he tested it by turning it upside down over the bowl and shaking it. No-Tail looked on with interest. Nothing came out, so he squeezed the bag into his school bag. It was pretty heavy, but he'd manage. No-Tail stayed with him all the way to the school gate. She perched on the back of his rucksack and hopped into a tree as he turned onto the path to the playground. There were a few minutes before the bell went, and he saw Jenny and the Green Hands gang over by the exercise equipment. "'What's the plan?' Wilf asked as James joined them. "'We need to find asthma,' James said, "'and we need to do it fast.' Jenny had sent out a message to the gang the night before. Wilf said that he and Laurie could help straight after school, and that Laurie's friend Roscoe was coming to theirs for dinner, and that he would lend a hand too. He'd also asked another Year 5 boy, Max, who might be able to persuade his parents to let him out to play with Wilf. Queenie said that her brother was now home for Christmas and would help. James was relieved to hear this, as Spencer was older and bigger than the rest of them. James had just enough time to recount his run-in with the magpies and the rovers before the bell went and the children had to line up in their classes. They agreed to talk it over at lunchtime, during the last choir practice before the performance. Once upstairs, James hung his heavy rucksack, with the girdle picks inside, on his peg. It was only when he sat down and looked at Mrs. Gently that he realised how tired he was. The puzzle sheet was in his tray, thanks to Mr. Stanbridge, but he didn't have the energy to get it out. And by the look of things, Mrs. Gently was tired too. She sat behind her desk, sagging in her chair, head hanging down. Only her eyes looked at the class, and she didn't even bother with the register. "'This is the last Friday before Christmas,' she said, lips barely parting. "'Everybody please spend some time making Christmas cards.' The class happily got to work and were soon noisily chatting and playing. James didn't join in. 
His energy levels were at an all-time low, and he rested his head on his desk, eyes closed. He must have drifted off to sleep, as when he opened his eyes, everyone was rushing out to play. Jenny didn't go with them. James, she said, Mrs. Gently wants to speak to us. He groaned. She must have found out that the Squiducken key was gone. He didn't have the energy to argue with her, though. He'd just have to take the punishment. They stood by her desk. The old wrinkled woman lifted her head up a fraction, and her eyes looked at them, while the rest of the skin on her face hung loosely. "'Close the door and lock it,' she said to Jenny. Jenny didn't move. "'I don't have much time,' the old teacher said. "'If you want to rescue asthma from the foxes, please close the door.' Jenny did as Mrs. Gently asked, and came back over to the desk. Mrs. Gently's head fell forward onto the desk. It hit with a soft thud. And then, to James's horror, her head and body slowly deflated. Not like a balloon, more like a snake wriggling out of its old skin. When the head and body were completely flat, two Persian cats jumped up from behind the desk onto the deflated body of Mrs. Gently. "'Wait,' James said. "'Hang on. Are you... were you... inside Mrs. Gently?' Both cats looked at him like he was an idiot. He noticed that they had slightly different shades of fluffy white fur. One was a little greyer than the other. "'Mrs. Gently is merely a puppet,' the white one said. "'A puppet that will fool those who are happy to believe that everything is normal. But everything is not normal.' We are asthma's protectors, and we have failed. How did you even... what did you... James was flabbergasted. Then he came to his senses. Wait a minute. How come you took the squiduckin key? And you wouldn't let me see the puzzle sheet. How did that protect asthma? We could see no reason why a boy like you, the grey one said, looking him up and down, would have such a powerful artefact. And as for the puzzle sheet, the white one said, if you had won the prize, that would mean we would have to leave the school with the class, and that would not have been possible for us without the puppets becoming obvious. What can we do to rescue asthma? Jenny asked. We tracked the taxi. The foxes are holding her in Stanma Park, just far enough to deplete the Sentinel's power. We are going there now. It would be useful if you could hide the puppet, and then your assistance would be appreciated. We will send a taxi for you at the end of the school day. The two cats jumped down from the table and went to the door. As James watched, one cat climbed deftly onto the other's shoulders, unlocked the door with its paw, and then slipped out. Wait, James said, who's going to teach us for the rest of the day? It was too late. The cats were gone. Come on, Jenny said. Let's get Mrs. Gently into the cupboard. <laughs>